Well, hey, good morning. Um, nice to see you all here today and online. Um, we're continuing this morning in the season of Advent, and we're going to continue uh, in the Gospel of Luke, looking at Mary's visit to Elizabeth and Mary's song of praise. And this is an interesting passage of Scripture for me. I did not grow up in the church uh, at all. I thought that Mary was, I don't know, a myth or, you know, just that something cute that other people convinced themselves of. Um, but one of the things that hit me as I was looking at the, um, the verses this week is, is that this was a real person dealing with a very real and present issue in, in her moment. And what makes her special, though she will tell you she is not special, she's, she refers to herself several times as being humble, but what made her special is that she allowed God's confirmation, God's call, God's faithfulness to move her in her just very real situation. Um, and, and, you know, something that maybe could have been frightening, maybe was overwhelming. Uh, we don't really know her. She seems just so, so confident. Um, and it's a confidence that I would love to, to have in, in my own life. Um, I was trying to think about things that have scared me kind of over, over the years. And I used to hate to fly. Um, I, I just, you know, I was one of those people that's like, what is that sound? Why does it do that? Does that whir mean something? And, um, and I, as I thought about it over the years, I realized that it was really that sense of the loss of control that, that put me at unease. Like, we're never actually in control. Like, something could happen to us on the way home or, you know, uh, there could be something, you know, in our own body that is just not quite right. But we feel in control much of the time, except when the plane leaves the land, you know, and your, your life is in the hands of the pilot or the Boeing engineer or Baruli, whoever that was. Like, that's what's keeping you afloat. And that feeling of loss and control can cause fear. Mary, to be frank, lost control of her life, but she accepted it with a tremendous amount of confidence in God's goodness and in God's love for her. And so um, that's what we're going to look at. But before that, um, let's pray. Uh, dear God, please help us this morning to, uh, for just these few minutes, be quiet, be patient, be at peace. And take in the story of one of your servants. She called herself humble. Uh, she seems fairly amazing to me. Uh, but what made her amazing was her peace and her confidence in you. And as we look at her stories, remember our history, the history of the mother of our Lord. Uh, let us be touched by some aspect of her story um, and be, become a little bit more like her, a little bit more like what you uh, want us to be. Uh, fully confident in your goodness and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're Luke uh, 1, starting in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women!' And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds 
with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So last week, John Garcia left us with the thought that maybe we overcomplicate Mary. Maybe she's just a simple story of a person who was given something to do by God and who said, okay. And I want to pick right up with that thought. Luke tells us that Mary got ready and hurried to the hill country of Judea, entered Zechariah's home, and greeted Elizabeth. Now, if you look back a few verses, the angel had given Mary a lot to think about, a lot to take in. Mary, you're pregnant for no earthly reason. Uh, It's by the Holy Spirit. And your child is going to be extraordinary and great. And your cousin, your relative Elizabeth is pregnant in her old age. A lot of that was hard to take in, hard to calculate, but there was one thing in there that could actually be confirmed with a fairly short trip. And and that's where Mary picks up. Mary, the angel said to Mary, go, behold, Elizabeth is pregnant. Mary went, beheld, Elizabeth is pregnant, and got just a tiny confirmation that everything that the angel had given her uh, was true. Um, She then gets a a bonus confirmation because Elizabeth Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and prophesies right to Mary, you're blessed. You're the mother of the Lord. You have believed God, and because of that, you are in, you know, you have God's favor. Um, And I guess the the thought of this as we build up to Mary's song is that Mary had a, a massive task ahead of her, but for her, it was accomplished in a bunch of very small steps of faith and obedience, and just believing God. And one of them, the first one, is there's an offer of confirmation. Go see Elizabeth. Let the God's word to you be confirmed. And she did it. And that is actually the only thing we see her do that leads from the Mary who is troubled, to whom the angel says, don't be afraid, who wonders how is this possible, to the Mary who sings this song of praise. You know, is, is she believed God, she took this small step of faith. You know, the angel told her that the Holy Spirit has come upon her. Maybe that has, I don't, I don't fully understand how the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, but there's not a lot that we see that has changed Mary from the woman who was afraid to this woman who was full of faith, but that's what we see. Um, and so I just encourage us all to, to remember that when God offers us small opportunities to be confirmed that what we are doing is for him, let him in. Um, but now we get to... Uh, the main event, as it were, which is Mary's song. Um, And uh, beginning back in verse 46, uh, Mary said, "Um, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary, I have to notice... She sounds like she's just speaking a psalm into existence. Um, if you've read the psalms, this, this follows many of the same patterns, an opening kind of rousing oneself, your soul, your spirit. Look upon God. Look upon all that he has done. And there are, in fact, many psalms praising God, our Savior, which is interesting because we here now, post-Advent, post-the cross, Think of God our Savior primarily because Jesus lived a sinless life, went to the cross for our sins, 
died, rose again, rose to heaven to create a way that we could permanently be right with God through trusting that act on our behalf. That hasn't happened yet. In fact, all the Psalms that are written to God the Savior are written before God had done the final act of salvation in Jesus. How does that work? Well, one, I think that many of the Psalms, they were written by people full of the Holy Spirit, were just prophesying. Jesus is going to, there was a, a final salvation coming, and the Psalms were meant to hint ahead to how God was going to end it. But actually, too, many Psalms are written by people who were in danger, who were being saved by God in their present circumstance. One of my favorite, a psalm that has been near and dear to me uh, throughout my, my Christian life is, is Psalm 3, which David wrote when he was on the run from his son Absalom, uh, who wanted to kill him. And it's, it's a lovely uh, psalm in its entirety, but in the middle of it, so David is being hunted. His son Absalom has sent people to kill him. And David, in the middle of the psalm, says, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear ten thousands. Um, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. And David is not speaking hyperbole. Thousands of people were like scouring the countryside looking for him to kill him. And it strikes me that David speaks a praise that he can go to sleep. (laughs) Because he didn't live in a fortress. He's on the run. He didn't have thousands of men protecting him. He had, you know, dozens of loyal men. And so to go to sleep at night, there was a very real chance every single night that one of those thousands of people looking for him would find him and kill him in his sleep. So David says, I go to sleep. And when he woke up in the morning, God had been faithful. This is actually the verse I mentioned before that I was used to be afraid to fly. This is the verse that, that turned me around. When I would fly, I would, I would just recite Psalm 3-5 in my head over and over and over again. I lie down and sleep. I wake up. The Lord sustains me. The plane leaves the ground. The plane's going to touch down. The Lord sustains me. Um, and it was very real. It was very real for David, God's salvation. Um, and it was very real for Mary. What she had been given to do was difficult. What God gave David, difficult. What God might give us may be difficult, maybe beyond this. But we can know that God is um, a Savior, even when he doesn't necessarily make our earthly situation better. You know, David didn't pray, God, take away the thousands of people. Mary didn't say, no, 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 I don't want a divine pregnancy. I don't want to have to explain to my husband what's going on. I don't want that. She's, she's, she's like, thank God that I get this honored moment to bring God's salvation closer to earth through the birth of her child. Um, and the image in my head may be strange. First of all, I should say I'm not an oceanographer before I say what I'm about to say. So there might be small inaccuracies of what I'm going to say. But what I've been told is that when there's a storm at sea, a hurricane, something like that, for people on the surface, like us in boats, it's terrifying. But for sea life, how much it affects them depends on the depth of their natural habitat. Closer to the surface, it's, for them, like us, dangerous. You might get thrown on land and suffocate. You might hit one of those dumb boats that those humans have built, you know, but you go down a little farther, they're aware that there's a storm above them, but it's not so bad. It doesn't toss and throw them about. You go down far enough, from what I'm told, it's like nothing's happening at all. But the storm is happening, it's just not where they live. 
And I believe that when I look at people like David in his psalms, when I look at Mary and her song of praise, I see someone who is living life, for lack of a better term, at God's depth. And that when we, in our life, pray to God, I think often, I do, I pray for a better life on the surface. You know, a, you know, a, a, a better job, or more money, or more health, or God, take COVID away, please, it's been two years. And I think God answers us, he hears us, um, but the answer isn't, okay, I'll take it away, it's come out of the shallows, come into the depth, see what he is doing. And Mary saw what God was doing in her life. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And she could weather the difficulties that were before her because she was in the hand of the mighty one. God didn't make her mighty. He was mighty. God didn't make her holy. He was holy. He was going to see her through. And um, that is the first part of the song. So, second part of the song. Starting in verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm and has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. From generation to generation is a really beautiful poetic way of saying this is always true. God is on the side of the humble and it's helping those who fear him. It's for everyone. It was true for Mary. It was true for David. And it's true for for us. That God takes the side of the humble. This particular verse here, uh, Luke 152, he has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble uh, if, you're, if you're a cross-referencer, if you like to cross-reference things in your Bible, this, this particular footnote is going to explode. I think we have, yes, there it is. This is a list of verses in, in the Bible that read almost exactly like Luke 152. We've got Psalms, Proverbs, Matthew, James, Peter. When Mary says from generation to generation that God is on the side of the humble, she means from generation to generation. All the time. All people. It was true for her. It was true for her ancestor, David. It was true for David's ancestor, Judah. If you go back and read, don't do it right now, but Genesis, uh, you get the story of Judah, the fourth child of Israel, the fourth son of Jacob, but became the honored tribe. If you read Judah's life, the only thing about him that's noteworthy is how humble he was. He made some awful mistakes uh, that would be I'm not even going to talk about this. He made awful mistakes, awful choices in how he treated his daughter-in-law, how he treated his brother. And the, what stood up out of Judah is that when he realized that he had done wrong, he apologized. He said, I was wrong. So it was true for David's ancestor, Judah. You can go, you can go back, you know, pick anyone in the Bible that you admire, and you will see somebody who was humble before God's ways. Not necessarily great, but humble. Um... It also is true moving forward um, that God loves the humble. It was true you know, for what the Reformation, we might think of someone like Martin Luther, like, you know, like a superhero of the faith. But when I look at him, I see somebody who looked at the world around him and everything that people were saying, this is how to follow God, 
And he looked at the Word and said, this isn't how to follow God. The Word is saying something different. We have to come back to God's way. I think about our brothers and sisters you know, who lived in Nazi Germany and opposed what the Nazis did, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Corrie ten Boom. They were humble people who looked at what the world was doing and, and, and then instead did what God would want. Humility, in Mary's context, humility is taking your part in God's plan, doing what God wants even though you're out of control, um, trusting the plan uh, even though it can be really, really hard. Um, I have another person. Wow, we're talking about a lot of older people today. Um, uh, there's a reason for that. Um, uh, I want to talk about Joseph, the, not Mary's husband, Joseph, though he too humbled himself and took comfort from God. But Joseph, uh, the son of um, uh, Israel, uh, son of Jacob. Um, Joseph, you know his story, uh, maybe. He was, uh, his brother tried to kill him, then sold him into slavery. Then he was falsely accused for crime and thrown in jail. Then rose to become part of Harold, uh, Pharaoh's household. Um, and was able through that to amazingly save his brothers. And uh, when he came back together with his brothers, they were terrified that he was going to take retribution for, you know, trying to kill him and selling him into slavery and ruining his life. Uh, And he said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, uh, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You know, Joseph didn't get what he wanted. Uh, but he trusted that God was good, and the plan was good. And um, that is true for us today, too. You know, that the plan might not, your, what you want um, may not be what happens, but God is still good. What's interesting for, I think, a lot of the people when I look at Mary, when I look at, you know, her ancestors, is that in a way they did get what they want. Like if God had simply come to Joseph and said, there's a famine coming, uh, would you like to save your family? He'd probably be like, yeah. I'd love to do that. Um, it was the particulars of the plan that made it difficult. You know, God called David to be king. David was, I think, glad to be king. Didn't want to go on the run from his son. There was particulars along the way. Mary, when she, you know, in this moment in her life, she was engaged to Joseph. She probably thought, in a year's time, maybe two, I'll be raising a child. I'm going to take him to the temple. We're going to dedicate him. I'm going to take him to Jerusalem every year. It's going to be great. She was in on being a faithful mother, a good Jewish mother, and she was. But God sort of took control of it away from her and said, be that person, but with this extra piece of faith in God to, to do it her way, to, to do it his way. Um, and so Mary did it, Joseph did it, David did it, and, and we can do it uh, too. Um, so I just wanted to say one last thing about... Oh. Verse 53, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I do think it's important to remember, I feel like I'm talking like about like living off in the ether with God. God does not forget the real world. God, you know, look at Mary's life. He didn't forget that she was going to need Joseph's help or money or, you know, like God was, was there taking care. He knows that the hungry are hungry. You know, he's not completely out of, you know, just like, just live in the clouds, live on the spiritual high, you, you know, and real life doesn't exist. Real life does exist, and God knows it, and it's something worth praising God for, that he knows about real life. 
He knows that you need a job and need health. And, you know, he's aware of these. And even when he takes those things away, seemingly on the surface, maybe to push us into a deeper understanding of him, he has not forgotten. He's not abandoned us. He still cares. It's just he's working a, a grander plan, which is where Mary ends her song of praise. Um, in verse 54, Mary praises God. He has, rem- he has helped uh, his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary knows her history. She knows that she's a part of God's people, a part of God's great plan. Um, in preparing this, I wanted, at first I was like, oh, this is about Mary. It's a very simple thing. God gave her a simple thing to do. She did it faithfully, and she believed God, and that's why she was blessed. That is a piece of it. The other piece, which Mary herself brings up, is that she is part of this grand plan. You know, going all the way back, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden and the fall of man and, you know, and salvation for humanity through Noah up to where she picks up Abraham and the promises of God that through Israel, God would bring about a restoration, a reconciliation between himself and people. And she was a part of the plan. And I guess what I wanted to say, sort of looking at and thinking about the plan is that sometimes for me, the plan feels just too big. <laughs> that what God is really calling us to do, really calling us to believe that, you know, that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God, that He alone is the way to salvation. Like these, these ideas, this gets really big sometimes. And I'm encouraged, knowing my history, <laughs> uh, knowing the history of those who trust God, that others have been overwhelmed by the plan. So our last little like excursion into history this morning uh, is... is um, in, in Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, he was a prophet, and he had quite a life. Uh, he was a prophet in Israel at the time when Israel was in, um, was in exile. He and his friends stood for God um, against a corrupt king and a corrupt system, and they were not only sentenced to death, but like people actually carried out executions that didn't kill them, <laughs> like like not an, it was I guess in the end you call it an attempted execution, but it's like it wasn't like they got ready to flip the switch and then it's like no don't do it. It's like they flipped the switch, and Daniel and his friends didn't die. Um, they threw them into a furnace and they weren't burned. They threw Daniel in with the lions. He wasn't eaten. And the interesting thing about Daniel and his friends is that through it they're kind of like Mary is here, almost unscathed by it. Like it doesn't overwhelm them. You know it's like well we're gonna we're gonna kill you if you don't. Turn your back on God. And they're like, okay, try. Um, they, they were kind of, you know, just sort of spiritual tough guys about it. And that's the first half of Daniel. Second half of Daniel, God starts to give Daniel visions of the future, of the master plan, of everything that he's going to do. And in the midst of these visions, Daniel collapses under the weight of it. He's unable to speak, it says in Daniel 10, because what God has in store is just too much. And in the midst of that, the angel who was giving Daniel this message speaks these words to Daniel. God loves you, so don't let anything worry you or frighten you. And after that, Daniel says he was strengthened. He, he, was, he was back in for this plan. The plan didn't get easier. Daniel had been reassured in his heart 
that God's love was with him, God's love was for him. And these are the components. You look at Joseph, it was God's goodness. You look at Daniel, it's God's love. What God has for us to do, big or small, we can only do when we let that goodness and that love in. If we try to do it on our own, just we're tough, we're super Christians, we will collapse. Daniel collapsed. Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den, is like, that's fine, I'm just going to curl up with this lion and sleep the night away. He collapsed before what God gave him. This wasn't easy, and God didn't make those situations easier. If we think that the Christian life is easy, we're probably not fully engaging what God has for us to do. It is hard, and then his goodness and his love and his faithfulness prop us up and make it possible for us to do it. Um, and Mary, I, I, I think, knew these things. This is why her, her story reads that she's kind of, I don't know, indestructible, it seems, in, in the midst of this song. And I did want to uh, hear at the end close, uh, talking about uh, verse 56. We're told that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. We are not told why. Um, it could be. We know that Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy when Mary found out she was pregnant. So Mary might have just gone to see her and waited to see the baby born. That would make sense. Occam's razor, most simple explanation. Um, I don't actually know why uh, Mary stayed, and the Bible doesn't say why, why Mary stayed. Um, what I do know, or I do recognize, is a pattern, which is that in Elizabeth's household, Mary would have been encouraged about what she had to do. We see that on Elizabeth. When, as soon as Mary walked in the house, it wasn't like, oh, Mary, good to see you. Can I get you a glass of water? Would you like a place to sit? Oh, you're pregnant. Your back must hurt. How was your trip? None of that. It's, you have something God wants you to do. Let me encourage you in that. That's what she got from Elizabeth. And that's why I think she stayed for those three months, was the encouragement. And then we see later with Joseph. Joseph at first didn't want to marry Mary. Uh, but then the angel came, made Joseph an encouragement to Mary. And then when Jesus is taken to the temple, there were people there to encourage. Then the wise men. Mary, as I read her in this song, she could have done it alone. She seems like spiritually indestructible, stronger than I have ever been. And God still gave her help. God still gave her encouragement. And this is his pattern. Look at anyone in the Old Testament, just about anyone in the Old Testament. Moses had Aaron, and Elijah had Elisha, and uh, Esther had Mordecai, and David had Jonathan. Like again and again and again. People who seem to spiritually not need any help from God. They and God alone could take on the world. God still says, yes, they and God could take on the world. And here's a friend. And I wanted to encourage you with that as we come to our close, that if you have people in your life who are like Elizabeth, let them in. Make time for them. Mary made three months for Elizabeth. Uh, Make time to let people like that in. And if you are in the midst of someone or you 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 feel through God's Spirit the opportunity to encourage someone along their path for God, encourage them along your path for God. If you can be Elizabeth... Be Elizabeth. If you need Elizabeth, find Elizabeth. But know that God, though he and his spirit and his calling could be enough, he still gives you help. He still wants us to do it together. It's his pattern. I actually can't explain it. It's a mystery. We shouldn't need that help, but he still gives it. Um, And that's really it. Um, Well, last thing. Um, I've talked a lot about what we can learn from Mary and how we can emulate Mary, but also remember that Mary is our history. That what he did for her, what God did for her, not going to happen again. We don't need Jesus to come back, not that way. 
Um, it's not going to happen again. This is, in this season of Advent, we are remembering God's history, that as much as we can try to emulate Mary, she also now takes her place along with Abraham and Moses and David and Mary. Our history of God being faithful, of working this grand master plan, our parts will probably be smaller than theirs. And that's fine. (laughs) It's his plan, his glory, his final restoration of mankind back to himself. Um, And so, uh, you know, I praise God. I praise God for Mary, that that young woman, humble and simple and ordinary, was given a task by God, said okay, did it faithfully, and took her part in God's, you know, great scheme. Um, And so with that, we thank God, we praise God, uh, let me pray, and then we can go. God, thank you, thank you that you made a way for us to be right with you again, and so many people throughout history have played their part. And Mary was one of them. And here this week, here as we come up on Advent, we stop and we thank you for your faithfulness to her and her faith in you. Thank you that she did what she did. Thank you that you did what you did and continue to do what you do for us. Uh, We thank you, we praise you uh, for all that you are and all that you do. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.